Okay, everyone, welcome again. This, year, this week we got to learn a lot. We're going to make up last week. We gave fewer shiurim, so this week we have to make up. Um, and tonight is the Alter Rebbe's Yard site, still continuation from last night. We began a mimer last week, Thursday. We learned a little bit. On Sunday night, I, I went through quite a bit, and I would like to complete the mimer tonight. Make a, make a run for the end of the Maimer to conclude the Maimer. This is not a Maimer from the Alter Rebbe. It's a Maimer from the fifth Chabad, the Rebbe, the Rebbe Rishab. However, he, he, he's delving into the Alter Rebbe over here. As you see, he was trying, the whole Maimer was talking about this idea. Uh, the Alter Rebbe says that number, that number that in um, the energy that comes down to create the world, there is already number. It's within the context of numbers, which means puts it within the realm of the finite, and the energy that is in Atsilus, that is above, is is purely infinite, is beyond number. And then we had all discussion about that last week. Basically, I'm not going to get in, not last week, on Sunday night's class, part two, you can listen to that. It's a little warm here, I'm just going to put on a little... So we were learning the idea that um, that the, for the, the neshama there's a great yirida, there's a great descent, and we were also learning that the creative energy, just like to the neshama, there's a great descent by coming into this world. Our soul is incomparably lower when it comes into our bodies, no matter how good we do in this world. In terms of the quality of our connection to God, we are dramatically reduced. And there must be a very good reason of what we're doing down here. That's the idea. And also he explained that the divine energy that was invested in creation, it too is in a state of descent. And it too needs a justification of why did it come down. And this was the whole the long discussion over here. What is the descent of the godly, flow, the godly infusion of light? And he explained that when that godliness was in its source, it was much higher than when it is expressed into creation. And if you remember just the point, he said there's three levels. There is the concept of light, there's the concept of uh, life, and there is a concept of koach, power. Light, um, energy, and power. And he explained that light remains aloof, which means the level of light doesn't become impacted by the place where it's in because it remains abstract and above. So the divine energy that is impacting the world in a manner of light, oirois, is above, is above and therefore remains still in its infinity. But the energy of God that descends in the level of chayos, which he explained earlier, is primarily derived from the kalim, from the vessels of Atsilus. And in the vessels already, that's where we have already the concept of number, because there's 10 and not and not more. And the energy that passes through, and even the energy of, a, of, of the or, once it's coming through the vessels, being that it's the or that is impacted by those vessels, that too is considered, um, considered already within the context of number. It's not fully, fully impressed upon by the 
limitations and boundaries and constrictions of the creation, but it yet is considered a source for the limitations and the boundaries. And then finally, the, 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 the level called koach, power, which is the, the infusion of the impactor or the doer, that which he, he transmits into the thing. He calls it koach apoel benifal, the power of the poel that is inside the nifal, inside the thing that is made, because it encloses itself in whatever is being made, it becomes, to a certain degree, darkened or lessened or very much similar to the thing that it is enclosing itself in. And we brought many examples to that idea. The simple example was the power of, let's say, intellect is impacted by the physical brain. Um, even though this is a spiritual power, yet when it's in the physical brain, it's impacted by the brain so much so that it even is impacted by the food that you eat. If you eat coarse food, sometimes it impairs one's ability to think, to have a clear mind. Because the coarseness of a food, which one can argue, the coarseness of the food at best is impacting your physical brain, but the physical brain is not the, inte not the intelligence. The intelligence is spiritual. The answer is the intelligence is a power, it's a spiritual power, but it is enclosed in the physical brain and therefore is very much impacted in. So these are three levels of life that, that, that are impacting the world. He, he used the word, there is the poel itself, the power or the koyacha poel. Just like we said, we named the three names, or, chayos, and koyach. He also gave it another differentiation. He called it the koyacha poel, the power of the maker, that's infinite. We're talking about God. It's purely infinite. Then there is the Kayacha Poel, when it is now being directed to do something. Not the power of the maker as it stands as part of the maker, but as the maker is now addressing the thing that he's going to make. Even before he's making it, the very fact that he's addressing, addressing it is already an adaptation. That's called Kayacha Poel, the words that he used, the Kayacha Poel, that... Um, that's coming to that it's coming to, to, to do a pu'ula. And then finally, there is actually the power that is the the power that is infused. The, the example I was giving is the, 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 a pitcher, because you can look at, a, at a, you know, a ball player. A pitcher, while he's in the ballpen, that's his essential power. Then there is the pitcher when he's standing on the pitching mound. He's already estimating exactly the distance, how far, how strong, where should it go. So there is a certain concentration and limitation on that power. Now, if he can throw a ball freely and it doesn't have to go over here and precisely on that spot, he might be able to throw it at a force much stronger. But because there is that little concentration of exactly what, where, and when, he has to control it more and decide it more, it already now is in a state of limitation. And then there is the pitch itself where the energy is exits the person, is carrying the ball. That force is already very much, um, is far more already limited. That's the idea. But what does this all lead, lead us to? That at least on the two lower levels, which is the power of the maker as it is coming to make, or the power of the maker that is infused in the creation, and regarding to God is dramatically lessened from when it is 
still sitting within the maker as part of the maker's reality before he's involved in sending it out. And that's a, 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 such a great descent that it's compared to, um, there's no comparison. As we say, number, which relates to, finite, to finite, compared to the infinite, there's no comparison at all. It's, it's believable. That's how much it's diminished. And he showed us how this is, if you trace the, the, the divine energy, the creative energy that is meant to engage the creation, invest in creation, involve in creation, and, you, and, you, and we trace it all the way up higher and higher and higher and higher and higher, all the way, all the way, all the way, all the, all the way up, even to the highest levels, we're always going to have this idea that the energy that is that goes out is severely diminished then from its very state when it was higher. So it has fallen. So it is not, it is not an ascent. It is not a, a progress for it to be in the creative process of progress. It is actually a degressing. And if that's the case, we have to find the good justifications for the diminishment of things. You know, we always think that a person is doing something to progress, to move things higher. This is a degression. That's the idea. So he says, what's the point? That's what we got. So the point has to be not in the creation itself, but it's something that happens within the creation. And what is it that happens within the creation? That's the divine pleasure where God gets something out of the creation. And that happens, that effect that we're talking about that makes it all worthwhile to the entire descent is only decided be by me and you in the last stage of existence, which we are the lowest state of existence at the very, very end of this endless chain. But we over here have the power to justify and to enhance all of creation. And that is why we, as we finally appear on the, on the, on the screen, as we finally make our, we, we become, we are brought into existence. That's the earthy physical existence down here below or our souls coming down in a body, into a body, into the physical, which is the most obscuring, the most egos, uh, the most um, non-godly state, where the ego reigns, where we don't feel God, we feel ourselves very strongly. And yet here is where everything counts, because well, the choices we make over here, and what is the good choice we can make? What, what, what is the desirable choice that God has for us to make? Is that we surrender ourselves back up to him. In other words, we are created to be something, and when we transform our somethingness back to nothingness, we, 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 we elevate ourselves to serve beyond ourselves, the interest of our creator, not ourselves, so that by doing that, we re-include ourselves in him, and that state of attachment, he calls it attachment, that state of attachment, of taking the something and re-including it into the nothingness, because we refer to God's in godly energy as nothing because it's not defined. We are defined. We are limited. And when we lift ourselves up back to him by reabsorbing, by re-including ourselves in him, and that is by overcoming our own sense of self, our own sense of pleasure-seeking. The self brings us to all the stuff that make us be so, so caught up in being. And when we can lift ourselves up from our beingness into non-beingness, that's the pleasure. That's the attachment. And when we do that, we not only make the descent of the entire process of these energies worthwhile, but as we're going to see soon, we cause 
from the very, very tippy top, from the very, very beginning of beginning, at the highest, 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 most sublime, you know, levels that we can't, uh, we can't even imagine in our wildest dreams, such infinite, boundless, you know, levels of such endless godliness. And from, from this quintessential heights, we cause an incredible, an incredible effect over there. What do we cause? By bringing pleasure to God, as we're going to see why this causes pleasure, we cause him to engage in the creation. What does that mean? That he invests himself now into the creation from his very self, which means like this. The whole process of the creative process from its very, very origins at its very, very, very original heights, the entire process of the creative process is an emanation of a ray. God creates through a ray of him, not through the substance of himself, only a ray. It's an infinite ray. And we spoke all about the power of the ray in last class, that the ray reflects the source, and therefore it has certain qualities of the source. But on the other hand, it's still only a ray. And therefore, it doesn't have within it anything of the true substance of God's very, very self. However, when God gets excited and entertained by our struggles, and when we do the most unexpected things and we rise beyond our immediate gratification constantly and are constantly striving, this is a constant battle throughout our entire life because every day we're faced with the challenge and every moment we're faced with the challenge. Will I just comf will I just comfort, make myself comfortable or will I devote myself to serving my creator bigger than me, even at the cost of my own comfort? Because he, he is more real than me and therefore, I am surrendering my existence to his existence. I am uplifting my existence into him. And when we do that, we, we absorb ourselves into God. And not only us, but we can pick up all the stuff around us. Because as, as, as humans, God created us, as I mentioned last class, to be consumers. So we consume all kinds of stuff. And these stuff are all living in a world of stuff. That's what that is. It's stuff. It's things. And when we take things and we make them into non-things by serving the interest of the being who is not a thing, so then we reabsorb the things into the non-thingingness of him. As we do that, well, we cause the vibrations go all the way, all the way, all the way, right back to the quintessential beginning. And it causes the quintessence of God to get involved in the creation. That's the secret of what we're going to learn today. And that's the idea of connecting, and his phenomenal idea. We're connecting the yash to the ayin. Yash means something. Yash means something. And that's our state of existence. We exist as some things. But obviously we understand that the somethingness of us is temporal. It's limited, it's finite, and from the true, from the true scope of reality. And the true scope of true existence, our not our something, as strong as we think as we are, as much money as we think we can make, and as much noise we can make, and as much as attention we can get, what is it? What, what significance does it have from the true perspective of the entire universe? What is it? Nothing. A blip in time and space. With all of our power and money and influence, it's nothing. Even if it's even, I put it this way, even if you to make to be recognized for a million years. But what's a million years when you're comparing it to infinity? 
Nothing. And that's even if you're just looking at the universe. As much as you're looking at God, it's nothing. True exists nothing. So it's not worth it. Not worth it to, 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 to serve the make-believe ego, the make-believe. It's a make-believe also because it doesn't have a true. You don't, you haven't created yourself. I didn't make myself. Someone is busy making me every second. Someone is granting me life and granting us life, all of us. And he's granting us not just life, he's granting us existence. He's granting us of every breath, our every, our, our every energy, our every speck, everything we own, everything we have, everything. He's thinking us and talking us into, and speaking us into existence continuously, every second. And he has an interest in it. So when we serve him, that means we take, this is the point, we take our yesh and we connect the yesh to the ayin, to the nothingness, to the energy, we connect the, the, the creative result, the creation, the resultant creation back. It's now the, na the natural state of the creation, the way God created it, is that God creates it in a way that the creation, that the creator hides from the creation. The, crea the creator is not only is he anonymous, we don't know necessarily who he is, but we don't even realize that we're creations. We feel like we're gods. That's the thing. We feel we're, we're powers. We're absolute powers. We're independent powers. A little thinking, we, we recognize that that's a false. That's what the advertisements of, uh, are trying to project to us. But the TV is trying to tell us that. And all the Hollywood tries to tell us that. But, but a little bit of deeper inner introspection and, and feeling, we recognize that that's not true. It's just simple a lie. So when we go against the grain of that, of that gravitational pull that pulls us into beingness, you can use it, you can talk about it like, this psychological gravity. There's a psychological gravity that is always pulling us into existence, it's pulling us down into ourselves. And we have to fight gravity, which means we have to fight, you know, what, 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 what is amusing? He says, to watch a person walking on the ground is not amusing, but to watch a person take off on the ground and fly across the, fly across the street, it would catch everybody's breath. What's that? How, how is that person defying gravity? How is that person walking in the clouds? That, that's, that's amusing. So that same amusement God has when we can overcome that gravitational pull and we get uh, our gravity to get out of is get out of ourselves and transcend ourselves for something higher beyond ourselves. Serve that doesn't mean, let me be very clear, this doesn't mean melting into liquid or melting into a gas <laughs> or ceasing to exist. It means to very much exist the way we exist with our hands and feet and be normal human beings in this world, not crazy lunatics, normal human beings. But we are thinking continuously and driven continuously for something bigger than ourselves. What does God, and here is the, the whole the whole trick is tonight's the art side of the Alter Rebbe. This is probably one of the most important teachings of the Alter Rebbe. You have to think to yourself, not what do I need, but what am I needed? Alter Rebbe said it to a chassid. What am I needed? That's the entire Tanya. It's this idea. All of Hasidus. Bittel. Get past yourself. It's not what I need, but what, how can I serve? Not serve me, but how can I serve? So when we take the yesh, the something, and we surrender it to the ayin, to the nothing, that creates, that's the, that justifies all of creation. And that's called Livi. We'll soon see. That's called Liviyasan. Because Liviyasan means attachment. We're attaching two opposite things. We're attaching the something to the nothing. But here's the amazing thing. See, the divine energy 
that is that is responsible for the entire cosmic order. We're referring to it as nothingness. Now we're referring to it as nothingness from our perspective. No one in their right mind is going to say it's nothing. What do you mean it's nothing? It's the power. It's the electricity. It's the energy. It's the entire power that makes everything that exists. So why are we calling it nothing? It's the super something. So we're saying it's nothing because it doesn't have any defini defi definitive parameters that we can define, characteristics or defin that we can define it by. So it's nothing because well, what is it? It's not this. It's not that. It's not light. It's not heavy. It's not bright. It's not dark. It's not soft. It's not hard. It's not you know, brown or pink or yellow, it's, it's neither, it's nothing. It's above all these things. So we call them, so what, nothing. To us, and, and because it's not seen and we can't touch it with any of our senses, it, it's some power, but to us it's nothingness. So that's one reason it's called nothing. But there's another reason why it's called it. And according to that, to God it's not nothing. To God it's something. But the truth is, to God it's also nothing. Because like this is the whole point that we are talking about earlier. That when Hashem creates the world, he doesn't infuse, he doesn't transmit his substance to create. He's not creating it of his substance. He's creating it only from a ray, and the ray is nothing compared to him. So on that level, it's really nothing. Not only nothing, it's even, though, even though it's infinite energy, it's still nothing. But it's and not nothing because we don't know it. It's nothing because it's really nothing to the true infinite being. But here's the catch. When we take our something and connect it to that nothing, how do we do that? Again, by living beyond ourselves, by us doing that, what are we doing? We're connecting something to nothing. God also does the exact same thing. He mimics us and he connects something to nothing. His true somethingness also gets into the game. We're putting our something, our substance of existence into the game. We are investing our egos, ourselves, by, by giving surrender, by connecting it to God's, to the I and to the nothing, to, to the creative energy that's creating us, submitting ourselves to that power. As we connect our something to him, our make-believe something, he takes his true real something and gets involved as well. And then there is something and something connected. His real substance is then connecting into our substance of our body through this infinite chain of nothingness that connects the two. And then you have something and something bonding together the real something, and then our something, which was really only a make-believe something, becomes real something because we become attached to God. And that's the messianic state. Where our physical flesh is completely unified with the true essence and substance of God's true being. So how meaningful then is life every second? Every second, from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep and even while we're sleeping. Because it's only when we are in a corporal physical body where there is this gravitational pull into somethingness, into full somethingness. And we fight it and fight it and fight it. Different levels. Sometimes we're inspired to fight it. 
Sometimes we're just determined to fight it, even if without inspiration, but we fight it and fight it and fight it. And it's not, when we say fighting, again, it's not a, 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 a painful fight. It's pain. Sometimes it is painful, but it's not a painful fight. It's the greatest pleasure and the greatest joy when we appreciate what we're doing. It's like a person could be, you know, sweating and toiling and working crazy hard, pulling stacks literally up a up a, up a hill, and it can they can be miserable. Two people doing it side by side. One is miserable, crazy, can't wait till lunch break, can't wait till vacation, can't wait till the job is over. And the other one is ecstatic. What's the difference? One of them knows what's in the bag. And inside the bag are the, are, are the biggest diamonds. And when they're carrying these, and what, are they, what's, what is going to happen when the foreman, when, he, when you get to the top of the mountain, he's going to tell you to load it into your van and take these diamonds home. And you're forever going to be a rich man. Two, three days of enormous crazy labor and you're going to be a billionaire. Every moment of that sweat and toil is a pleasure even though it's sweat and toil, you're fighting against gravity, you're pushing upward, but you're taking diamonds. The other guy thinks he's pulling stones, <clears throat> building bricks, building pyramids for Pharaoh, whatever it is, it's slave labor. They're doing the same exact act, but the content is different once you know. So once we appreciate this idea that we and only we have the ability to make all of creation, to justify the whole thing, to bring pleasure to God, that's where it's at. That's the, that's the summary of what we're going to be learning today. With, of course, a whole bunch of other things. I'm going to go back a tiny bit to uh, a few lines that we learned already last week. Okay. I mean, on, on Sunday night. The entire descent of the soul. This is on page Kuf, page Gimel and Sefer, Memorum Ateris. And all these descents, whether in the soul, or whether in the divine light, everything is for the sake of the elevation. What's the ultimate point, the ultimate intention? That the yesh, the something, should surrender itself. That the yesh, the something, should surrender itself, and it should become absorbed, the infinite one blessed to see. And that's the whole point of the soul coming down because the soul has that knowledge. The soul recognizes the nothingness. And the soul is also a being of nothingness. The body is concrete, chunky, full of itself. The soul is a humble servant of God. And the neshama comes down into the sluggish body to change the body. The The soul didn't come down for its own sake. Because the Nisham itself doesn't need any kind of a correction. And it only came down to purify and to correct the animal soul. And, and to purify and to elevate all the physical things. Two things. One's own ego and also the stuff around us. It's to affect the dark soul. We all also have a soul besides our spirit, our sublime godly soul. We also have an animalistic soul. And it does not want anything godly. It wants just, you know, 
to dip, to dip uh, chicken, chicken, chicken fingers into uh, into sauce and to enjoy it. That, that's what it wants. It wants to sit back, watch a movie, and eat popcorn. I don't know. I'm just giving two examples. A million of other things. It wants to it wants to pamper itself. And instead, our work is to change that, to transform it, to knock sense into this animal, <laughs> to knock sense into this animal, that it should realize. First, it should realize it's an animal. You know, sometimes it puts on a necktie and a fancy suit and it eats in fancy restaurants. And because it's so eloquent and drinks fine wines, he thinks he's so sophisticated. And realizes that really essentially he's living the same life like the cow. The cow also sits all day and eats and, and tries to make itself comfortable. It just it doesn't have a fancy La Marais restaurant to eat in. So it eats grass. And what are you doing? Same thing, sitting around, munching grass all day, munching, looking for looking to satisfy yourself, looking to, you know, where you can get uh, the pleasure from food and pleasure from, from an intimacy and, and other things, other forms of sexual pleasures and so on and so forth. And that's all. That's my entire life. That's a, that's a cow. And the animal soul would be perfectly happy doing that. So the godly soul comes down to change that, to transform that. You should want the, the divine. And this is an entire service of the neshama. To weaken the animal soul. It's a whole progress. It's not a whole lot of work. It takes a lot of, it takes a lot of, you know, um, controlling the animal soul. Until it, the animal soul will exit its courses. The more you train it, and you slowly educate it, it will stop being such, a, such an animal. And not only that, it can truly become sophisticated. And that what it will want transcendence, it will want God, it will want the divine. And that's what we say by the Shema. You should love God with all your heart, with both your inclinations. It's not a big deal to love God with your soul. The, 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 you know, sometimes, and that's see, that's a very important idea. Sometimes we 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 feel good if once a year or twice, once every six months, we have these spiritual moments. Ah, we watch this incredible sunset and we're like, and we're thinking about God and we're feeling great. Now, it's, it's better than not thinking about God. Some people look at sunsets and don't think about God at all. But if you do, it's nice, wonderful. I have a nice experience once on a, on a, and, and, and that makes us feel kind of so spiritual and we feel so great. That's great. But that means that why are you at this moment suddenly feeling so godly, so holy, so connected? It's because it, you know, we, we are fortunate that at certain times, the peel, the outer peel of our external um, superficial layer peels away and a deeper truth enters our consciousness. Our higher selves appear. But for that, you weren't created because the higher soul is godly, whether you recognize it or not, it is godly. It's nice that we give it a voice once in a while. That's beautiful. And it's, it feels fuzzy to, to feel that. And it feels wonderful, feels true, feels fantastic. But that's not the purpose. The purpose is that, that it should change the everyday life. It should, change, it should change the gorilla inside of us. Besides a godly soul, we have a gorilla inside of us. We have an ape that looks human. It's not too human because it, doesn't, it can't live for anything higher than itself, only itself. And that is daily work, daily work. And it has many levels more external level of control is that you just don't give in to it. 
not every physical pleasure, every physical desire you want, you have to follow. Instead, again, but every time you feel these urges, you keep on telling, even if it's not sinful, keep on telling yourself, this is what I need. But right now, is this really what I'm about to do what I need or do what I am needed for? I have a half an hour now. God granted me life in which I can justify the cosmos and I can engage and draw God's very essence into the world and give his true being infinite, endless, boundless pleasure, as we're still going to see. I can do that right now in the next half an hour. Instead, I'm going to sit there and, st and stuff French fries in my mouth. For what? And even if it's not French fries, even if it's more refined salad, okay, that's already improvement. It's a little, at least you're not damaging the body, but it's still self-centered. You got to go past it. And I'm giving examples from food, maybe because I like eating, but um, it's, it's everything. It's other kinds of entertainment and other kinds of self-absorption. Point over here is that, that, that continuously, continuously changing that, surrendering. What does God want? And, and again, sometimes it's painful because it hurts. And sometimes it's a pleasure. But it counts even more when it's painful. That's the point. Even the animal soul, even the unholy soul, should love God. So what happens then? The godly soul, the animal soul, has now been absorbed by your neshama, by your holy soul. So the unholy soul enters into and is encompassed inside the soul, becomes part of the soul. It's like the soul swallowed, the soul, the holy soul, um, 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 incorporated in itself, the unholy soul, and it becomes one with it, melts, it dissolves inside the holy soul, and it becomes holy. And obviously then, there's no more ego in a person. And if you achieve, you achieve this to the fullest, then that's what a tzaddik does. Then you start becoming a complete container and conduit for the divine will all the time without any, without any um, resistance. Obviously, that, that takes an enormous amount of work. And it also depends. Every person's soul is different. So some people have more labor to break through and some people have less. It also depends on how much we spoiled our ego and how... How, how, how much discipline it will need to change. Okay. But he says we can, it's not just about changing our own soul. And so to the physical things, in which we receive energy from. So the way it works is we eat to survive. And then when we eat, that food that we ate now gives us energy. And with that energy, we study Torah. And then we daven. And we pray. So now we converted a piece of chicken, a piece of fish. You converted a potato. You converted a celery, whatever it is that you're eating, tofu, whatever it is. You just converted that food into, into prayer. Because without eating for three days, you can't, you can't say psalms. You can't pray. To say you need energy, and the energy is the food. The end of the food becomes your blood, and your blood it gives you energy. When the prayer is the way one should. Now, prayer itself, you can, you know, transform your your cornflakes into uh, into ashray, part of prayer. But the ashray is not too impressive because <laughs> when you're saying ashray, you're saying the words. You know, you're your uh, 
you're daydreaming. You're fa- you're you know you're in fantasy land. You're thinking about who knows what. So that's not really um, a up. You know, it's not really picking it up. But when your ashray is, is the way you're focused, you're meditating, you're really into it. Then you're in a, com- a communication with God, and you and your cornflakes are also communicating with God because it became part of your prayer. And also when you're studying Torah, when you're learning Torah, not to boast your ego, to bolster your ego. But you're learning Torah in order to connect to God. Then it's holy Torah. It's godly Torah. So then the physical things become included. They become included in the holiness of prayer. And the holiness of Torah. And this is the primary elevation for why this soul came into this world. And for why the divine energy was sent down here to create the world in the first place. This is we were actually holding. This Leviosan fish. Remember, we're talking about the big, ginormous, huge fish that we're going to um, uh, have as part of our meal feast when Mashiach comes. What's this big fish? What's this? So the, the verse says, God created the Leviosan fish, this enormous fish. To be entertained by it, which is such a strange verse. It's in Psalm 104. So now he explains. Leviasan comes from the word to attach. Like uh, Levi means attach. We said in the beginning of the Mimer, our Leah, Leah says, when Levi was born, my husband will be attached to me. Levi, right? When you, when you, when you, Sadly, when we accompany uh, someone to uh, by uh, by a person on their last journey, it's called the levaya. Levaya means to accompany. I'm also, you're 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 going along with them. You're not just abandoning. You're attaching yourself, as long as you can still stay attached. And it's a mitzvah to accompany a living person as well. When they leave, it's a mitzvah to walk them to the door. It's called accompany. So it's, it means to attach yourself. Levi means attach. So this is the idea. When it says the fish, God created to be entertained, it means that God created us detached so that we can do the work to attach ourselves. And when we do that, we are acting in a form of liviyatan, liviyasan attachment. And Hashem created us in that form that we could, that our natural state is detachment. And then we work on attaching ourselves, the sachik boy, and that's an entertainment Hashem. And what's the attachment? The attachment is we're attaching something to nothing. That the something becomes absorbed in the nothingness of the divine. And this causes laughter above. This is so impressive to God because, again, it goes against gravity. It goes against the state of the way God created up a, created a system. The way God created a system is that non-beingness evolves into being. And it evolve, keeps on evolving into more dense beingness. Being, 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 more density and density and density. That's the way God created it. And that's the system that he set in motion. So for something to start working the opposite, to go from being to non-beingness and moving more inward is against his creative energy that he created. But he desires that. That's He wants us push back. He, he's pushing us into being and he wants us to push against him. It's like a father playing with a child. You know, father playing with a child. They're playing, they're playing um, 
you know, uh, I forgot what it's called. The, the, you know, your, your, I'm not, well, I forgot it, but anyways, the, to, to push each other's hands. So the father's giving pressure on the son and the father's happy if the son beats him. He wants to see how strong the kid is. He's, and the father, in order to give his child a real test, the father is going to like really add, give, give, give it his really oomph, give it, his, give it all his muscles. And he's trying, but yet he's happy if the son beats him. Someone else beats him, he's not happy. It's his child, he's happy. He wants to see his son's strength. So God does that too. He's pushing against, he's pushing us into ego. This is this, we're fighting against something very powerful. We're fighting a godly um, 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 system where God set us up with this gravity that push pulls us pulls us away from him. And he's he wants us to push back against that. And when we do, he's thrilled because very few do. It's unusual. This creates the great laughter above. And again, let's understand something. Every person in accordance to their struggles. No two people have the same struggles. And everybody struggles. And, and when we struggle and we don't do the what would be expected based on our nature. And we do what's beyond the natural thing for us. That's it. Like it says, another verse in the same pasuk, in the same chapter, Kuv Dalet, Psalm 104, it says, There will be, Eschadesh means it will be renewed, the face of the earth. Just so beautiful words. Eschadesh, it will be renewed. The face of the earth will be renewed. The glory of God will be to the world. Let's talk about the messianic time. What's the messianic time? There's going to be a new world. The world is going to have a facelift. A newness. Transformed. A makeover. A makeover. The face of the, of the earth is going to be a makeover. What's going to be the makeover? The makeover is that instead of a world that we have now, a world that's detached, we're going to have a world that's attached where the, where the something is attached to the nothing. And therefore, everything in this world is going to reflect and reveal the divine energy flowing, and it's not going to be, you know, pulling into itself. To be a new world. And then what does the verse say? Yisma Hashem b'maisa. God will delight. That's when the joy of God. Until that doesn't happen, God doesn't have joy from the world. The joy he has when we uplift the world and reattach it to him. God will... Yismach is the continuation of the verse. It's a new, it's a new phase. We wouldn't believe, because again, once we're finished with all the work, and the world has, because of the accumulation of all the acts of selflessness throughout all of history, across the planet, when all these will suddenly explode with powerful, godly revelation. The nature of everything in this world is going to be so trans, radically trans. The same world, but the, the content is going to be so different. And the world will be so receptive to the divine. And that new world is the ultimate delight of God. The light is now when we're pushing. And then that delight will be revealed to us. We will then see the joy that we have brought to God, and then we will feel, feel the joy of this incredible accomplishment. And then Hashem will rejoice in his actions. 
When the face of the earth has changed. What's that change? That the something, Nichlal, has become absorbed into the nothingness. Then God is going to delight in his actions. With great joy and pleasure. And now we'll understand this cryptic statement that we mentioned in the last classes. The verse says that God created the Leviathan to be entertained by it, to play with it. And this is such an important event, this play, this, this pleasure, this, this playing, this entertainment with the Leviathan, that God puts it into his daily schedule. As I mentioned to you, that there's a, a, a Gemara that tells us what God does all his hours. And it tells us the first third of the day, the first quarter of the day, God does this. And the second quarter of the day, he does that. And the third quarter of the day, he does this. And the fourth one, what does he do? He plays with the Leviathan. Got to be one of the craziest statements of the sages. But obviously when the sages say something, they're saying something very, very, very deep. So now we know what that means. But why is it that God is playing with the God is in being entertained by all the selflessness of the day. Now you could say, why is it the last quarter of the day? You say because at the end of the day, God is looking at his cross as a world and looking how much this was a day. It started at 6 a.m. and now it's already whatever, 3 p.m. So how am I doing in this world? How much pleasure? How much justification does this world? Is this world just going about everybody absorbed in their own self and their own ego? Or are people rising beyond themselves? Are people caring about others? Are people thinking about bigger things than just what they're going to gain, but how they can do good in this world to help and to give, and to, especially when it hurts? So at the end of the day, God delights in all the good that has happened. It's different than us. We read the news. When we read the news, we just get depressed of all the dark stuff that happened. See, the news doesn't tell you all the beautiful things that happen. The news always tells you all the ugly things that happen. That's why it's not good to look at the news. Because it just tells you the ugly stuff that happened. There should be a news channel that all day long they have reporters across the world that report the beautiful deeds that people do. Imagine that. I think that's the most, if anybody can accomplish that, it would be the most incredible accomplishment. There should be a news channel that is literally as reporters across the world and they just report beautiful stories. Stories when people rose and did the most unexpected thing. And that should be the whole content. Anyways, but that's what God looks at. The rest of the stuff, okay, fine, what do you expect? But when, when, when there is, so that's simple meaning. The end of the day, he's, there's another idea over here. It also represents the end, the last quarter of the day is the time when our spiritual awareness is at its low. See, when we wake up in the morning, we're refreshed. Our soul is refreshed. So naturally, our higher consciousness is a little more accessible in the morning. And that's why, according to in, in Torah Judaism, you know, in the, in, the, in the morning, we spend extra time praying. Because pray, it's a time that we can connect on a much, the world is still pure. People didn't do so many sins yet that day. And we know every day it's like a new world, so. By the time you get midday, it's been so many dark things that were done that created so much klipa and dark stuff. But um, in early morning, the world is kind of more pure and clean. And that's why our prayer, morning prayer, is much longer than the, than the, the morning prayer. Take about an hour. Long prayer. 
and our our godly consciousness is more pronounced than aware. So that when if at that time we transcend our egos, it's not such a it's not such an entertainment to God because He's expecting that more in the morning because we are less egotistical in the morning. The gravity pulling us down is not so strong. Time becomes lunchtime. We're kind of forgot our morning prayer. We're already in, involved more in our business. We're getting more heated up in our earthly, physical, self-absorbed passions, whether it comes from making a living and being successful and making money and, and the greed and, and ego and, 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 and arrogance and, and, and everything like that is, 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 is kicking up. When it comes to the last quarter of the day, he says that's called the mincha time. Mincha is the hardest prayer. In a sense, it's harder than the evening service. Why? Because it comes about in the midst of the hustle bustle of the day. Shachris is before you started your day. Okay. So you're not yet so, so entrenched in the material corporal existence. But by the time you get like three o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoon, mincha time, you're like at the heat of your passion and in the physical material pursuits. And you remember it's mincha and you got a daven, you don't want to because you just want to finish this. But you know, time is going and you got a daven and you rip yourself away from all of that and you do the afternoon service. In terms of quality, it's much weaker your prayer. Mincha is much weaker prayer than shachas. Your spiritual uh, uh, awareness and your connectivity to God from our perspective by mincha is much lower because your mind even when you're praying, you're in a million places. It's much harder to concentrate. It's much harder to connect. You know, your, your place on a Richter scale, your prayer in the morning could probably be much higher than the prayer. It's a rushed prayer, maybe. Yeah, but the little bit of it, it's all, it's all, it's all, it's, it's, it's not the quantity, it's the quality. And when it's, it's not such a, it's not such a refined prayer. It's not so sublime, uh, but it has the quality of, of, of unexpectedness. Because by mincha time, God is not expecting you to daven mincha. He's expecting you to dismiss mincha and say, hey, you know what, I'm too busy. I can't, you know, God, I don't have time right now. Any other time I have to, but right now it's middle, it's middle of the business day, I can't. I don't know, when you do, and you go to the corner, or you go to the minion in the office building, or whatever it is how you pray, and you do your 10 minute prayer, 15 minute prayer, it's worth more than the hour of shahans. And it's more entertaining to God. And that's why it's at that hour that God gets the greatest kick out of his creation. At the fourth hour, God entertains himself with the Leviyas. This is the time of the prayer of Mincha. And Yitzchak was the one who instituted Mincha. And Yitzchak means laughter because Yitzchak is associated with laughter. Why? Because Yitzchak is... We know Avram is on the right side, Yitzhak is on the left side. Chesed and Gevura. Why is it so dark down here in this world? Why is this work so, so much concealment? Because we learned earlier in the Mimer, there's Kalim and, and, and vessels and Tzimtzum and contractions and all that. These are all related to Yitzhaks, to the, to the world of Gevura. That's what causes all the filters and constrictions of the divine. In Avram's prayer, Chesed energy, there's much more light, much more expansiveness. If there's more expansiveness, there's less klipa, there's less resistance, there's less. So therefore, Avram's prayer is great. We need it. 
But Yitzchak's prayer is so much greater. And that's why Yitzchak means laughter. Because God's laughter comes precisely when it's difficult and hard to serve him. And yet we serve him. It's also hinted to in the verse when, when Yitzchak was born, Sarah says, Simply it means God, God made me laugh. That I, also, there was also the same idea. It was unexpected. You know, she's, she's, she's 90 years old. She's barren all her life. She can't, every doctor in the world, every professor told her it's impossible. You will never have a child. And here she is, she's having a baby. And that's the laughter. So again, it's unexpected. And the, and, but the simple meaning is I'm laughing. The deeper meaning is God is laughing. Tzchoyk, the laughter from what? Awesome is created from Elohim. What's Elohim? Elohim is the name of God that creates all the concealments. Avai is the name of God of revelation. Elohim is the name of God of concealment and constrictions. It's, it's only the constrictions and the darknesses that bring the laughter. The great um, laughter and great supernal delight. Which happens when we overcome our own egos. And at the time of the prayer of Mincha, that's the main time of this, of this surrender. And the reason is because Mincha occurs right in the middle of a person's busy schedule. Shachris is before you start your work, your business, early morning. You haven't gotten to work yet. Tvilas, Arvis, and the evening prayer. It's already after you shut down everything. So you don't have so many worries and concerns, and you're not. So you're home, you're relaxing. Oh. Now, gotta go Davin. There's more space for that. The blood of, of selfishness is not boiling at that moment. But Mincha hits you right in the middle of everything. It's right in the middle of one's occupation. In the middle of that, you tear yourself away. Again, you're pushing against enormous amount of gravity. And at the middle of that, you push against that. And you pray, especially if you're praying, not just praying, but you're giving, you're, you're doing, you're trying your best to, to, to have intention when you're davening. That's like really surrendering yourself. This is the pleasure above. That's the reason why, that's the time when God plays, most pleasurable time. Now he has to explain one thing. Why does that give God pleasure? Okay, we said the surrender of the something gives God pleasure. Why is it? I told you already the answer, but now we're going to read it inside of here. The reason is because it's against the natural, the nature. In other words, the natural order, the natural flow of energy is from nothing to something, not, that, not from something to nothing. And the reason the pleasure comes from when we surrender our egos to him, because that is a novelty. That is new. Because the coming into existence, something from nothing, is the nature of creation. God created that from some, that from nothing should become something, which means that's the system. But the other way around, that's something that exists already. To, to should undo itself from its own existence and surrender itself to the power that's, that it doesn't 
intimately feel, that it has to work hard to acknowledge and rise beyond itself and surrender itself to it, that is unexpected. That's not. Zawu is conscious. That's not the norm. Zawu shamer That's And this is captured, again, all these deep concepts of Hasidus are already stated in the Talmudic statements way back before the teachings of Hasidus, but no one really understood what those statements really mean until Hasidus came and opened them up to give us this incredible deep understanding of the true meaning of all these statements. So the Gemara says, The story was Rabbi Hanina ben Doisa was very poor. And him and his wife one time were prayed because they just couldn't bear anymore the, the, the poverty. And a miracle happened and a, a hand came down from heaven onto their roof and through their ceiling and they saw a hand come down and gave them a golden leg. Literally, a leg from a table that was made out of gold. And they were so happy because now they had they can sell this golden leg. It was so bad. They would, they would be taken care of for a lifetime. But then she had a dream, I think his wife. I think that's the story. His wife had a dream and she related to her husband what her dream was. That she saw that they were already sitting in the in the world to come and they were sitting amongst all the righteous people and they were sitting by tables. Everybody had a table. All the couples were seated by tables and there were gold tables and all the tables that were around them, every single one had, um, I think it had, each one had three legs or four legs and their table was missing one leg. Either it was only two or it was, or it was three. I don't remember what, what it was, something like that. So she realized that the, that the reason her table is missing the leg there is because she's getting some of it already here. She's already, in other words, this is on the future account. They are drawing from their retirement to fund. That's the thing. This is, this is not for free. This is like on the, uh, it, it's not on the house. It was given to them and it was subtracted from their retirement to fund. And she discussed it with her husband and they said they, they don't want to do it. It's not worth it to exchange the pleasure of the here and the now instead of that true godly pleasure. So they prayed. Again, they prayed. And the very same hand that came down, the hand came down a second time. And they gave it the, 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 the leg, the golden leg, and it disappeared. And they returned it. Right? This was... Uh, like, you know, you buy something and then you decide to take it back. This was uh, there's a special counter up there for returns. That's exactly the point that he's making. There's no special counter for returns. There's a no return policy up there. In 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 Macy's and in, in uh, whatever uh, Nordstrom or whatever, you can you can you, there's a return. You can go to uh, Target or whatever whichever store you're shopping in. And bring your goods back, and there's, there's a return. As long as you bring your receipt, but up there, there's no return. Things are given, and so the sages say an interesting thing. The sages say that the second miracle was much bigger than the first miracle. In other words, the fact that they took it back was bigger than the first miracle that they gave them. That's an awesome miracle. Since when, who, who prays for for a livelihood and has hands coming down from heaven, giving them giving them gold, but blocks of gold. This was an incredible miracle. But yet the second miracle of them taking it back was considered a superior miracle. Why? That's what he explains. 
And the Gemara answers, the Talmud says, because from heaven they give, but they don't take. And this idea, Hasidus is explaining, what does it mean they don't take? Giving means they took, in heaven there's no tables. What do you think? In heaven there's a bunch of golden tables. There is the concept of a table. There is a spiritual table, whatever that means. And gold, spiritual gold. And when souls are sitting by a table in heaven, they're spitting by a spiritual table and some gold, whatever the gold means. The fact that it was given in this world meant it went from a state of nothingness. When it's a spiritual, it's considered nothing compared to physical. And it came down into a state of something. It went from nothing to something. And the sages say, and obviously it was a miracle because all the something to nothing that happens was only in the, the six days of creation. Since the six days of creation, even something from new things are not created. We don't have new things. We have things that are here in this world that already produce others, you know. Mama rabbits, rabbits produce baby rabbits. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of part of the system that God created that one should derive from the other. But new phenomenon is not created, ex nihilo, only in the six days of creation. But at least in the six days of creation, that was the system from nothing, from divine energy to creation, to, to stuff. So the fact that they had no argument that was a great miracle, that even at whichever period of time, suddenly from nothingness came to something. But it's not as great as the, as the fact that they were able to return something, which means turn it back. When they gave back the leg, it means it went back. It dissolved into spirituality. It went back into non-beingness. And that is the bigger deal. They gave him one leg of a golden um, of a golden uh, table. He prayed and they took it back. The Talmud says over there, we turn over the page, the latter miracle was greater, was greater than the first. Because we have learned. What did we learn? We have a rule. That's what the sages say. Mishamaya from heaven, maybe Yavi, give they give, Mishkalashakli, but they don't take. They are into the giving, but they're not into the taking. Different than government over here, they like taking, right? Pidish Mayev Yavi, we say that Ishtalshalas. This that they give is the is the is the flow. Say that Ishtalshalas. Mi madrega la madrega, from level to level. Me'elian la from higher to lower. That's this process of things, things, this process is from, from higher to lower means from spiritual to physical. And as the sages say, you don't have a blade of grass that doesn't have a corresponding spiritual force called the mazel. And that's a blade of grass, flower, a tree, of course, Everything. There isn't a thing in this world that doesn't have a spiritual counterpart. I don't want to say counterpart, a spiritual source. And that spiritual source has even a higher level from a higher world of spiritual. I mean, apples don't start in this world. The reason there are physical, there are apples here is because there is an apple in a higher spiritual realm. And that apple in the spiritual realm is considered physical compared to a higher apple tree. And so it goes in the endless chains of how the world but the system is that from the more abstract, more spiritual, it goes to become more condensed and more, more 
until you reach the physicality of it. So that's the system. Outward. Uh, he says from the, from the idea of the grass. And it proves what does it mean? What do you mean it has a the grass? Let's talk about an apple, but the same would apply as an apple, let's say, is a sweet, sweet apple, a, a red, delicious apple. It's a sweet apple. So the mazel has the characteristics of the apple, including the sweetness. But it's a spiritual kind of sweetness because there's nothing physical there. It's a spiritual sweetness. Spiritual sweetness very is, is the same idea. It's sweet. Like you say, oh, that's so sweet of you when someone said something nice. So what is that? I'm tasting sugar. I'm tasting chocolate cake. No, it's sweet. It's, it's a sweet gesture. It's, it makes me feel sweet. I, the, the, I feel the same kind of sensation I feel when I'm eating sweet cake or sweet ice cream. I feel because you said such a sweet good morning to me or you, you know, something like that. That's a sweetness. Or sometimes you hear a song and it's a very sweet voice, right? It's a sweet voice. But it's also sweet. Is it sweet like the sweet of sugar? It's, it's, they're both called sweet. It's a different type of sweet. And so you can see sweetness can be higher and higher and higher and higher and higher on more refined levels of sweetness. So when we say there is a, there is a, now the same way there is sharp, right? You have a jalapeno. It's very, very, it's very strong. It's, 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 uh, it has a real kick to it. And that means that its spiritual source also is a, you know, you don't want to engage in a jalapeno angel. <laughs> they can really sting you. They have their hot angels and there's extremely hot ones. And that goes higher and higher. Obviously the, the, the sharpness of it is um, like a person could be very sharp, sharp and, uh, you know, they sting. So, but you see from here that things evolve from a more spiritual comes, but it's the same idea, but in a more abstract form and then becomes more coarsened. The Masikas says, the Masikas Gashmi, the sweetness of the, of the blade of grass, talking about a carpet grass that, that's sweet, I don't know, some kind of herb, uh, sugar, whatever, sugar cane. That you can, you sense that sweetness in your palate. Venasa, and where does the sweetness come from? From the spiritual mazal. Now the mazal is considered physical to a higher, a higher level. Compared to a higher level of mazal. So it goes higher and higher. But the way it works is that first it exists in the spiritual and then it evolves in a lower level. Say that the order of the way God set the cosmos into motion from spirit comes down to matter, from higher to lower. And the same is also That's in general how things evolve, but also from nothing to something, the energy of God creates the world. But the energy is called nothing, and the creation is something. And that, from non-being to being, is a force that God had set, and that's the Nothing natural about it, but that's the nature of the way things are after God decided that that's the way it should be. Hugam King Talmud is also all the time. God renews every moment continuously the creation. That the worlds and the creations are continuously being renewed from nothing to something. But it's all one direction. That's everything is flowing in that direction. The one way, it's a one way street. 
Ain't Zepela. So it's not Kolkach. So when suddenly there was no gold leg and suddenly a new phenomenon, new piece of matter entered the universe, and that is they dropped it through their ceiling, a new a gold leg coming from heaven, meaning coming from nothingness. That's an enormous miracle, but it flows along with the general the general flow of the cosmos that from non-being it, it creates things. Like everything that is continuously now. The truth is, even the even the 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 wooden table that they had in their dining room, if they had a wooden table, they were so poor, they had probably a rickety table. Whatever they had was also just created at that moment or that day, because every day God creates the world from nothing to something. So this is only that the table is there every day being created from nothing to something. But it's a table that kind of has a history, you know, where they picked it up, how they made it, when it's just out of nowhere, it came down this leg, fine. So obviously it's a, it's a miracle, but not as great as the return palm, as, as returning it back. Um, so to the leg came from nothing to something but this that it went back into nothingness after it came into existence as something it went back into nothingness it went up from level to level in other words what happens is they when they sent it back, it didn't stop just in one world above. The gold leg didn't go up to being a more spiritual gold leg. It returned all the way, all the energy went all the way, all the way back to the very, very quintessential beginning. So they set in motion an opposite phenomenon, that the disappearance of man, all the way back up. This is even a greater wonder. Kamoikane and the same also we find in it. So this idea, this expresses this idea. It's a bigger deal to surrender things from something to, to nothing than from nothing to something. That's why the sages also tell us, the sages says the work of the righteous, what the righteous accomplish, is greater than the work of heaven. In other words, the tzaddikim are greater than the tzaddikim have done a the righteous people accomplish a greater feat than God has done when he created heaven and earth. Because it's a more difficult task. To create from no yeah is harder than from make from yeah no. Because God created from nothing to something. When we say the deeds of the righteous, righteous do this their whole lives. So it's called the deeds of the righteous. And, and hopefully us, we do it a lot of the time in our is that when we when, when, when we surrender ourselves from our wants and needs and self to something higher. So when that, and we do those, and those actions that are done considering ourselves as servants of God and, and tearing ourselves away from what we would have rather have wanted to do. That's called our actions of tzaddik. And that is more, that is, um, more impressive than what God does when he creates the world. It's from something to nothing. It's greater. And the ultimate inner intention 
of the infinite one, the essence of the emanator. Beautiful words. The, the ultimate intention, inner intention of the infinite one, the essence of the emanator, which means if we are to go into the heart of hearts, to the very, very quintessence, seeing what's going on in God's heart, what's motivating him to create the world, to set the whole thing in motion, we will find this interest in this happening. He's doing it for this, for this entertainment, for this goal. In other words, even though he's creating things to be something, his pleasure is that, that we will push back against what he is doing and turn back into nothingness. This that the world came into existence from nothing to something. That it should be a metzias. You can't say that when God created the world and he made them into something, can't say there's no will for that. There's no desire. Of course there is. If there wasn't the will, it wouldn't have happened. God wanted to create, therefore he created. The, as he says, the says, there's definitely a will that God wants the creation to come and be a something. This, isn't just, this, this didn't happen accidentally. This happened intentionally with desire. But he says, the, 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 yeah, of course there's desire. There is will, but not desire. He wants this, but what does he really desire? Desire represents deeper. The inner intention of the world. The inner, inner intentions is not in their existence. The inner intentions of it is after they exist. Can they lift themselves up beyond their existence and recognize me and give themselves over to me? The intention is when in the non-existence. What does that mean? When the creations can dissolve themselves into non-existence. And again, understand what, I'm, what that means. Very important. It doesn't mean, God forbid, suicide. It doesn't mean taking yourself out of the physical world. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, disappearing. It means living beyond yourself. That's what it means. Included in the interests of the true existence, which is God. And that's what we say that the final action, which is the final activities that happen in our world, the final existence of action, of material, is what initially arose in the thought when God created the world. The surah When we will turn away, I'm sorry, you made a mistake. Totally read this wrong. It's so weird. The soif maisa, the end of action, the bittel hayesh la'ayin, when the yesh becomes bottle to the ayin, surrenders to the ayin, shanishomis oisam lamata, when the something surrenders to the nothingness. And who's the only one can do it? Souls. We'll soon see why only souls can do this. Angels would never be able to do that for two reasons. Number one, they're not living in such gravity. Number two, they don't have that ability to push back against God, angels, because they're not strong enough. Huh. Only souls have that ability to be able to do this. But even souls can't do it when they're in heaven. Souls can only them do them when they are in, 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 incorporated in the body. That the souls do down here below. And that this pleasure has risen in God's initial thought 
and for this sake, and this was the reason for the desire bringing in all the worlds into existence. And when this, this, this is the purpose, and when this is achieved, that means when we actually do it, when it's not just a, a want of God, a plan, but this is something that is actually happening. This brings about an illumination of the revelation of, the, of pleasure. It, it, it simply, in simple words, it, it brings a sensation to God. And that sensation, which is which happens in God's essence, is what draws his essence to be revealed in this world, that he would get engaged in this world, involved and invested. And as the sages say, sages have an amazing desire, says this, that when the unholy is subdued, very important words. When the unholy, sitra achra means the other side. When the other side is subdued. What does that mean? The side that's not godly. side that's not holy. The dark side. That means the place where a, a place where there is an absence of God. That means a place where there is naturally a sense of otherness. It's not true. There's no otherness. But that's the way it appears. But it feels that that's why it's called the unholy side. Because it thinks it is God. It thinks it is and when in that place, and generally our body is part of that other side, and our animal soul is part is an is an entity from the dark side. And when in our animal soul and in our body, and in general in this whole physical world, which is the domain of the other side, because it's not visibly godly, so we make it that way. So it starts off in the domain of the other side. And the natural calling of everything in this world is to perpetuate its own existence. And when that doesn't happen and we, and we crush it, we fight it, it's difficult. And, the, and, 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 and we go against the grain of our egos and against the grain of everything in this world. That means we subdue the other side. The glory of God rises in all worlds. It's like an incredible explosion of godly revelation. When the other side is subdued, the glory of Hashem is now um, elevated in all worlds. Through the subduing of the other side. Now he explains. When we're talking about subduing the dark side, doesn't mean you know arresting or 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 punishing big criminals. People that have done heinous crimes doesn't mean, you know, you know, fighting the real dark. I means, of course, that too, but that's not what it means. It means we're not, it's not only talking about the real, 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 real despicable dark stuff. It's talking about the little, the, the more, the more what, what, what we look at as normal, the stuff that are like kind of acceptable lies acceptable uh, stuff, or what we even call in, in Torah would be the permissible realms. Things that are not forbidden, things that are not really dark, not really um, uh, uh, sinful, yet they're not serving any higher purpose. They're not in the service of God. All that is part of the dark side. And that's what we're talking about. That's what it's about. It's not, and he proves it. It can't be that the worlds were created just for the destruction of the real dark stuff, because that would mean 
for example, each and every one of us, if we would say that the sitrachah that we're talking about is that you sin and then you stop sinning, that would mean that God would initially set us up that we first have to enter into sinful behavior and then overcome it like an addict and break. Of course, when an addict does that, that's a balchuva. That's an unbelievable satisfaction and a pleasure for God and it accomplishes everything we said earlier. You can't say that that was the initial purpose because that would imply that all of us have to first become sinners. And you can't say that God set up a system where we all have to be sinners. To be sinners. We all do have to be challenged by a material selfish world. That yet, not sinners. And in that materialistic selfish world, which generally is everybody falls into a little bit. And then when we're there and we're already in that, we, we work against it. Daily, daily exercises against it. We're not talking about real despicable bad. This is the order the way God set it up. It's not like if it happened that someone fell in. God set up the system for everybody to be a skafi sitrach, which is to do the other side. If it would mean that it means only real sin, that means everybody would have to be at least within the vicinity of the darkest sins. And that means generally means that the reason you're there is because you've tasted it. You're there because it, it's ensnared you. You've done these sins. So people would have to become like really, and that that can't be the, the purpose. So you can't be talking about the real, real dark stuff. That's actually calling if someone allows themselves into real dark things and then he says, I'm doing it so that I can fight it later and do tshuva. That's called, what the sages say, if someone intentionally says, I will sin and then I'll do tshuva, then he generally won't probably do tshuva. He'll end up sinning and never return. The ain must be in the yard. They're not, doesn't, it's not given the assistance to do tshuva. We're talking about just becoming, allowing oneself into the permissible pleasures of life which is a challenge for everybody because we all have that. And it's permitted, so it's not like you're doing something evil. But yet, that's the challenge. To rise above these instinctive um, pulls of our body and instead, to sanctify, what the sages use the term, sanctify yourself and that which is permitted. It's permitted, but you don't need it. As we know, and Tanya discusses this in many other places, that the forbidden things, things that are not kosher, they are influenced by the three impure klipas. Meaning their energy is from the three impure klipas, the real dark things. They are real evil. They're real evil. And permissible things. That means, when I say it's real evil, it doesn't mean that a pig is real evil. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the pig. The pig didn't do anything to be a pig. It means that when God generates energy flow to the world, the energy that's the spiritual energy that is of the pig is, 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 is first, it's obviously initially a divine spark, but it, it, it's... that it goes through the really darkest of places 
and that energy then goes down into all non-kosher animals. So their their spirit is a spirit that's not kosher from a dark place. And that's why God says, don't touch it. And these things are so, at least through regular, regular uh, divine service, we can't elevate them. So we have to abstain from them. But the more permissible stuff, kosher things. They, their energy flow comes from the more intermediate klipa, called the klipa, the glowing klipa. It's a shell, but not such a dark, opaque shell. Which is not totally, completely bad. It's a mixture of good and bad. It's called the flame of the sword that that flips. This is talking about, this is a, 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 a term that's used in Genesis, Bereshis, after Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve sinned, God chased them out of the Garden of Eden. And in order to make sure they won't come back over there, he placed next to it this, some kind of a fiery creature, sword, revolving sword, that uh, it, it, uh, and they can't enter. So it's explained in Hasidus, what is the meaning of this? This is the klipa snoga. It's a klipa. Mm-hmm. That is half good, half bad. That's what's called mesapechas. It converts from holy to unholy. That means it's not such a block on the divine. And all kosher things, their energy source is from that, from that energy that's mixed good and bad. And that's why is our potential. In other words, it, we'd get to decide if by engaging and involving that object or that entity, we are connecting to the good of it and elevating it, or we are connecting to the bad of it and it is dragging us down with it into darkness. And that's what we said earlier. It depends how we treat the physical material things. What are we doing with them? If we utilize them to serve God, then we're elevating. And by the very fact that we have a a, a uh, temptation to become completely lost in the physical sensations that it provides, and we don't and we don't do that, we keep our minds mindful that everything we do is supposed to be with godly intention. And we turn our energy back to the service of God. We, we, when, else, when we eat food or something like that or any other physical thing that we do, we're thinking to serve Hashem, then we're pulling it into holiness. If not, so, and that's the Eskafis Akra. That's what he's talking about. That's where we have to subdue because naturally, you know, have a good time. Enjoy yourself. Times it goes to good and after bad. Because it's a mix of good and bad. The good in it. Now he says, actually, the good that's in all these material things that are from this translucent klipa called klipa snoga, which is the arena in which we're supposed to interact with, that good is very powerful good. That's why when we extract it, in addition to the fact that we're giving a sensation to God by subduing the klipa, there's another thing. That spark that's in it is coming from a very high place. And it gives us a, 
elevator. It serves, sorry, it serves as an elevator to lift our soul. Our soul hops into the elevator. The spark is our elevator and the elevator goes, shoots all the way up to the 6,000th floor. Very, very high spiritual level. I'm just used that number randomly, but to a very high place to experience the spiritual heights that the soul could never rise up on its own. The soul is riding on that spark. And the good of it in it that is from the 288 sparks, which is the sum total of all the sparks initially that have fallen and collapsed. That fell from the seven ancient Midos, the total. And, and, and what happens is because we've released that spark from its bondage and we've elevated it, it in turn will benefit us by giving us extra vitality and extra spiritual light in our soul that we can pray better and we can have deeper insight in our Torah study and we can have deeper energy and much more powerful excitement during prayer. In other words, this spark will enhance our spirituality in an incredible way. And this gives us the power to serve God. Like one of the sages said, the reason I couldn't answer you, you asked me a question yesterday and I didn't answer you because I hadn't eaten yet meat. But I have, but now that I've eaten meat, meat from a cow, a beef, ooh, now I have a clear mind. Why did he add? The point over here is, when he, he doesn't just mean physically I'm stronger. He means there isn't, when, I've, when you eat the way you're supposed to eat, like the sage eats with the right intentions, not for the physical pleasure. Then he is with the, with the intention to serve God. Then what he did is, is he elevated the spark of it, and that spark enhanced his mind. The sages say also, um, wine and good perfumes, um, fragrances, they, they help perk the mind and open up the mind, and that's on a spiritual level as well. But that's the good potential if we use it the right way. But if we get lost in the sensuality of it, of the physical, even if it's kosher, then it's dragging us down because that experience is not part of the divine experience. If we just allow it as it is without any infusion of, of, of intent, then the very food itself, the same meat, Two people eating the same meat. One guy takes half the piece of steak and the other one takes the other half. One of them is eating with higher intentions to serve God. And I never believe he's going to enjoy the steak too, but that's not his intention. His intention is I want to have the energy to serve God. I'm eating. And he makes a blessing carefully and he has intention during the blessing. And that food becomes an incredible spiritual enhancer because he unlocks the spiritual potent spark that's in it. And it is incredibly going to lift his soul up very high. The other guy's eating this, this, the, the steak, the piece of meat like a glutton without anything and just for the physical experience and at the moment he's indulging in his own ego and self-interest and there's nothing else but in other words, at that moment God doesn't exist because if God existed, what's the purpose of this? What are you doing? You're just here and you, you're to, to worship yourself and your own pleasure. So when that happens then that food is actually going to, even if it's kosher, going to bring a certain contamination in a person. And that sense that, well, probably going to have after, you're not even going to realize it, the person's not going to realize it, but maybe an hour or two later, they're going to have um, certain impulses or desires or lusts 
that they would have might have not experienced without it. Kind of, it's awakening dark things inside of it, and that's because the negativity, the unholy that's in it, has now been exposed in the food, and it's releasing its its germs, so to speak, in the person. This can drag a person down to negative things. Or you can, you know, you wonder why you couldn't control your anger, you got angry. And it could be because the, there was a little too much excitement in lunch. The Gemara says, a full stomach, the Nabisha that it produces, uh, you know, not the best things. Is that Adam, and this all dependent in the person? It all depends on our mindfulness when we are involved with it. If all that a person wants is just the enjoyment, the physical pleasure, then you're allowing the, the unholy of that food to, and the person is receiving it. But when you affect in your own soul, when you when you make a determination, determination usually has to be made during the time of prayer, at the beginning of the day. You determine that you're going to live a higher life. You're living for something bigger than yourself. And that means that your daily activities, including eating and everything else you're going to be doing, not going to be for the satiation of one's own desire only with the intentions to serve Hashem, then it's a whole different thing. You're eating a whole different food. The, you unlock, the klipa falls away, the, 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 the shell, and you unlock the soul of the food, and that is very beneficial. You're receiving from the good. And that's what we mean when we say that the pleasure of God is when the sitra achra is subdued. Talking, not talking about the, the, the you know real monsters being destroyed. We're talking about the, the stuff that we deal with all the time. When we acknowledge the truth, something is surrendered to nothingness. By days and through this the glory of God rises. This releases and this draws down the supernal delight. So this is what makes... Now, who can do this? And the power of this, who benishmas Yisrael, are in the souls of Israel. So like it says, angels don't have that power. And other humans really don't have that to the, to the power, to the ultimate. Of course, every human has a certain degree of this. But primarily, the Jewish people were gifted with this job to sanctify all of creation. And prepare it for the messianic time in which everybody's going to enjoy the incredible divine illumination that was going to be the consequence of this of this of this attachment. Like it says, you're going to be my land of desire. God says to the Jewish people, You will be my land of desire. So, number one, you're my earth, which means because you will exist on earth, on the lowest place much lower than the angels. They're in heaven, you're on earth. But in earth, you're going to be my desire. Now, the word for desire is two words, ratzon and chefetz. And what's the difference between the two? Ratzon means will, and chefetz means desire. Which desire is the inner point of will. You can want something, but what do you really want? That's the desire. 
That's the inner point. And God says, you will be my inner point because you're, you're going to live on earth and you're going to transcend the earth while you're living on earth. Because the inner desire that is in the intention of creation, you are this 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 land of desire. To complete this intention, and to provide this pleasure. And why are we able to provide this pleasure? Why do we have that ability to be able to provide this pleasure? Because the souls of Israel are rooted in the essence of the Ein Sof. It's saying something very, very powerful. The reason why we are able to provide and, and achieve this is because only the souls of Israel are rooted are higher than creation and essence. In other words, here, what did we say the whole time? That what? Where does creation begin? It starts as a ray of the infinite. And that ray travels and travels and travels, gets weaker and weaker, so to speak. Not because on its own it gets weaker, on its own it would be infinite, but because of the counterpower of, the ray is the power of revelation. The counterpower, the power of constriction. You put the two together, the constrictions constrict the ray, limited and so on and so forth. But it all begins with a ray. And what's that ray really at its very, very beginning? It's the desire of God, I want to be a king. That's the ray. A ray is that desire. But we said it's only a ray. Souls of Israel, because they're called children, a child is not taken from the ray of the father. The child is taken from the essence of the father. The, the Jewish souls are rooted in the essence of the Ein Sof. Now again, so two, two aspects of it. Number one, the will to create, that God has a will to create, is the source for this entire energy flow that flows from nothing to something. And therefore, in order to overpower that, as we said before, like the father having a, a, a wrestling match with his son. In order to overpower that force, you need a, count, a force that's coming from beyond that, that desire. Because the desire to create is a, is a desire to emanate. So in that, the energy is going from, from non-beingness to beingness. So from within that itself, there isn't any ability to turn that around. Only if there's a releasing a power that's above that and beyond that. And that's where the Jewish souls are rooted in. So, they're rooted in the essence of the Ein Sof that's higher than the desire of creation. They are able to fulfill the desire in the creation itself. And the inner intention of taking this something and, and surrendering it to nothing. And to bring forth the pleasure. As a result of us doing it, and here is where we get to the other point that I mentioned like about an hour and a half ago. When we take the yesh and we surrender it to the nothing, we take the something, it's running. So that 
brings that the true something, which is above the ray, also enters the nothing. And the cosmos, instead of them being a long string of nothingness, are now imbued with real something. We bring true existence into this world. By days and Sof, this draws down from the element of the essence of the Ain Sof, which is above and beyond the, the root and the source from where existence is derived. Creation comes from nothing to something. So creation is only derived from nothingness, which is, as we explained earlier, the ray. But now we're digging, we're drawing forth not from the ray, but from the ultimate truth of him. The the, the nothingness is only a ray. By the bitl ayashli ayin, through the bitl of the something to the nothing, the true being, the true somebody, this true being, he reveals himself. And that's why it says, that the ultimate reward is, God says, I will give Oyavi those who love me. This is the ultimate love. What's what's love? Love is when you're, you know, how, how do you know if you really love someone? If it, if you you're willing to cost you, if you're willing to make sacrifice. No one loves you unless they're willing to make a sacrifice for you. If they're able to give away from from their own comfort for you, then you know they love you. Just when it feels good for them, it doesn't mean any love. True love, you only find out. You live with someone a long time. They can, they can, they can transcend their own interests for your good. That's when you feel love. The more someone is willing to make themselves uncomfortable on your behalf, that's a sign that they're more they love. So who loves God? Those who are willing to transcend their own good times for God. And what's the reward for that? God says, I will give them yesh. I will give them something. What's the something that he's giving? And the sages say the something is the 310 worlds, which is gematria yesh, something that he's giving. So, yeah, 310 worlds. It means that the substance of the divine, which is called yesh, is revealed in those 310 worlds, which is basically our world with the infusion of God's essence. And the future is going to be the revelation of the real substance of God. And not just a ray of him. And this is the second meaning of Leviasa. You see, we said earlier, Leviasa means to attach to two things. So we learned earlier, what's our job is the Leviasa. We're taking the, our something, our egos, our self-centered existence, and operating against gravity that pulls us into more into our somethingness, into our beingness, and operating and working the other way, dissolving ourselves to the nothing. From something to nothing. We're attaching the something to the to the nothing. So that's one Leviasan. And and the the other element of Leviasan is on the other end, attaching God's true substance of being to the nothingness of creation. That's which that's God is is reflecting or um reciprocating on the same level that we're doing. It's an attachment from up down. That into the name of God, which is only an external ray, which is only a ray. See, the goal of creation is only a ray of God, and the, and the ray is also called the name of God. Because a name, what's a name? A name is the way others know you. It's not your substance. It's your renown. It's your fame. It's your. It's just a ray. So that 
the ray and name is the same idea. So initially, creation is created from God's names, not from God himself. But as a result of our work and the pleasure we provide, as a result of that, we draw God into his name. And that's an amazing explanation in the words we say, we say it every day in every Shabbos in prayer or, or the holiday also. We will rejoice in you. They will rejoice in you. Yisrael, Israel, they will rejoice. So first we'll get the word. We will have the light and pleasure and joy. And what will be our joy? You, you yourself. We will experience you, not a ray of you. Yisrael, Israel, will have this joy. That's in the future. Why? He's giving a reason. Because they, those who sanctify your name. Simply it means making a Kiddush Hashem, living nice, doing nice things. The deeper meaning. means They bring holiness into your name. They sanctify the name. means They make the name holy. What do you mean God's name is holy? What does holy mean? Holy means removed. Something that's holy is, is meaning it's separated. The true being who separated is God's essence. He's separated from his ray because the ray is only a ray. And he's separated from all of creation. The whole spiritual cosmos, he is utterly, infinitely, boundlessly removed from it all. Because everything is only created from this ray. But as a result of the midst of our surrender, of our, of, of our something to nothing, we cause God something, which means his holiness, his very self, to enter into his name. And that's why we're called those who make his name holy. It's an incredible explanation. Who's in the name which is only a ray. He is chabros, there should be an attachment. The element of the essence of God. And this is the drawing down. That's what we say in Davin. We say, you are holy. And your name is holy. So God's name is also holy. But you yourself, as you're bigger than your name, you are holier than your name, removed from your name. And we are connecting the you are holy into your name that's holy. And this is the meaning of when it says, they will rejoice in you, Israel, those who sanctify your name. Why? Because from this delight and entertainment, and laughter, Leviyasan Zeyatsarta, this Leviyasan the Sachik boy, because we cause God's entertainment and we bring him joy, it's measure for measure. We cause him delight when we take ourselves and invest ourselves to him by, by relinquishing ourselves to him, by us, and these are again, this is made up of all the moments of overcoming whatever it is in our own lives, and we lift ourselves past our own egos and our own agendas for God's agenda and God's want, when we do that, we bring him the pleasure. And as a result of that, he invests himself and that causes us our pleasure. See what happens? The, the ultimate pleasure. As we created joy above, the Yisma Hashem b'Maisov, and that results that God delights or 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 rejoices in his in his actions, which means in his in the stuff that happened in this physical world. Yeah, what's the re, what's the other side of it? What does that produce? 
Now we will rejoice in you. The great joy and delight of the souls of Israel. And it says, we will live before him, which means we will live and experience his inner, inner essence. When we experience that, there will be no greater pleasure in the light. And the reason is, Why? They sanctify your name. Through taking our yesh, our somethingness and surrendering it to ayin to nothing. And this will also understand what the Zohar says. The man Zohar says something very, very strong, tense. Anybody who doesn't convert darkness to light, and bitter tasting things, they don't turn it to sweet. If a person didn't turn darkness to light or bitter to sweet, they don't have a portion of the world to come. That means our main job in this world to have, in order to experience the ultimate experience, requires that we do what? We convert darkness to light and bitterness to sweetness. And, and in the simple words, what does that mean? Serving God when it hurts a little bit. It's that sacrifice. It's that transcendence. It's that living bigger than ourselves. That's called the bitter because the, the, the natural, it's, it's bitter because, or, or dark because you're engaging the the, 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 the space itself is dark space. That's why it wants to serve itself because it doesn't feel God. Had it felt God initially, then it would just be naturally, you know, surrendered to God. The fact that it doesn't means it's the dark space. And yet we bend that to God. We get our bodies to do God's will. That's the idea. And, and, and why won't we have, because that, what do you mean? Without that, you don't have a portion. You don't have an experience in the world to come. Why? What's the world to come? The world to come is... <laughs> Is, is the substance of God revealed? The substance of God can only come when you take your substance and surrender it. Our substance to the nothing, God surrenders or puts his something to the nothing. So really the substance of all, let's put it this way, the substance of all of existence is the, is the nothingness of God. And there's two points where there is real something. Above it all is real something and beneath it all is another form of something that's our something that's our our density of self it's even really more nothing than everything else but at least in our own minds it feels like something and that's ours and we have to make something connect to something through this infinite chain of nothingness and how do we do it when we lift our something into the nothing his something comes into the nothing as well um, because the revelation of the essence of God that's going to be in the future, why they is when the something surrenders to nothing. When this is the meaning of now we'll understand this is the meaning of what Leah, and who's the first one who spoke about this attachment? Leah, Yaakov's wife. As we said last time, she felt not disliked. And then she says, when she gave birth, she bore Yaakov's third child, she said, now my husband will attach himself to me. So who is Leah? On the, on the, let's take Leah out of just the person Leah and see her as a concept, as an idea. Leah, he's going to explain now, is the nothingness. Is Leah, why? Because Leah really means 
her energy is the energy is of, of the divine thought. All, all creation, all of creation and all of existence derives derives their existence from God's thought. It's the thought. And really it says it's all one thought. I want to be a king. And that's what drives all of creation. But it's only one thought. And as we said earlier, that thought is only a ray. Now what Leia is saying, my husband, who is my husband, the source of the thought, which is God himself, will attach himself to me. Drawing the essence of God into the thought of creation. And that's what she means. Because now that I have Levi, what's the idea of Levi? The one who will take the physical material matter and connect it to the spiritual. When we do that, that on the other end will cause the same thing. That the Ishi, my husband, will attach himself to me. He's going to say this now in a lot of Kabbalistic terms. But that's the idea. Because we know Yaakov has two wives, Leah and Rachel. Rachel is speech and Leah is thought. And that's why Leah is the older one and Rachel is the younger one. Because what comes first? First comes thought and then comes speech. If you do it, it's known the Leah of Rachel and thought and speech. Now, which thought are we talking about? The thought that that is that is the God creates the world through speech, but before he speaks, just like humans can't, we don't speak unless we first have to think it. So on a higher level, the whole process of creation of the energy of creation first is in a state of thought and then in a level of speech. The actual creation takes place through speech, but the on a, on a, on a more expansive level, underneath it is the thought. But even that thought is a thought that's related to the creation. And that's why it's all part of the nothing. As we said before, because the whole value of it all is only one ray, it's all nothing. The coming into create to existence of all the worlds is only of speech. With the word of God, heavens were created. But there had to be a thought before that. The because it can't be speech without thought. Like the example of a person, builds a structure. First, there is a desire, and then you start thinking, how is that building going to be? How is going to make this building? You can't start with the action. You have to start with first thinking. If you're going to just start with an action, then it's going to be completely unorganized. Nothing's going to be, it's going to be not going to be constructive. First, there has to be desire and a thought. And then speech and action. Yeah, in actuality, God created the world through speech. First, there was a thought. And a desire. Now, the speech is malchus. Malchus is pen. But malchus, the, the actual speech, is the way malchus is coming down into the lower worlds. The thought, he's saying, is malchus. The speech, when it's still in atzilus, is called thought. It's still in. It's like a person. What's the your thought in speech? Speech is when you're, the, 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 the letters are leaving you. And thought, it's still inside of you. Atzilus is still divine. So if the if it's still in, th- in Atzilus means it's 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 thought. 
It's Malchus as in Malchus and Atzilus. And now he's going to add, even go even higher than that. It's not really Malchus, it's Bina. But the external part of Bina, that's why Leah is really Bina. That's why she has six children. She has six tribes, which are the six emotions. But even the, the six emotions, they're already considered the building blocks of creation. It's considered the beginning of the world. Six emotions, six directions, and so forth. So even within the divine, Leia being the thought that is the source of the six emotions, the six emotions of God are only emanate for the sake of creation. So it's all considered like part of the creation. So we can say that that thought is the thought of creation. In Atzilus itself, it's the external part of Bina. That's the thought of Midas. The Leia gives birth to six sons. These are the six emotions the Zayir Ampin of the Zayir Ampin, Shanikra Oilam, which is called the world. The Kidua Be'inyan of the Kim Chaim and Elach Oilam. The Oilam of Chinezah, that the Oilam is the Zayir Ampin, the Chitzaini is Bina, and the Chitzaini is Bina is the mother of it. Wa Machshava Makara Oilam is the thought that's the the, the thought, the the, 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 the the source of the world. Machshava is Usharshim and Chinez Machshava is Dima. Now, we can trace this back, that's in the world of Atsilos. But just like we did earlier in the Mimer, he showed you that there's levels and levels higher than Atsilos when he spoke about the ray, how it goes higher and higher and higher. So, this thought can, can if you trace it back, it's rooted in the in the closed thought that's a very, very deep, hidden thought that's before Atsilos. It's the general desire of God to emanate. It's higher than Atsilos. He wants to emanate. Not even he wants to create. First, he wants to emanate the world of emanation. The because even to bring about Atsilos, also there was a thought and a, and a desire. The Zohar says there's many thoughts to thoughts. The thought that precedes this thought and this thought that precedes the other thought. And if you trace it all the way back, it's the primordial thought of Adam Kadman of primordial man. Which is the most general thought of Klovis. This is the thought where God, which encompasses everything. In other words, there is the individual thoughts to create the next stage of creation. And then there is the initial sketch in which he sketches everything in thought. And the root of the root of that is taking place before the symptom, even before Adam Kadmon, even before primordial man. It's in the, the initial thought of no Emlech, I want to be a king, which is in the Malchus element of the of the Ain Sof, literally. that's before the symptom. This it says Hashem Malach Lavish. That when that God decided he wants to be a king in that place and that initial thought, but he he garbs himself in in chaos, in exaltedness. What does that mean? That that thought is considered a garment because it's already to the outside. He wants to be a king. He wants to be king over something. So even though we're talking, it's not even possible not to have anything yet. We're still way before space even created. For but it's already a, a tenuah. It's already a, a state of desire for a creation. It's considered a garment. That the whole point that he's bringing out, it's not the essence already. It's a gar- Since it's that thought to go out to create, it's its considered the ray, it's considered the garment. Even though this is the general source for all the world, and all the revelations that are going to happen. Compared to the essence, it's only a garment. 
It's only a garment alone. It's only a garment. That the infinite one and the infinite light gets concealed and enclosed in this garment. And when he says the infinite one gets enclosed, he's explaining that the one that's being enclosed is only the ray. Because higher than the ray is not engaged. It's still outside of it. It's above it all. The orange soft that has a shaykhist to the world and some related to the world gets enclosed in this garment. He is to be a source to the world. Now I'm going infinitely deeper. This thought, this Leia says, now, because of Levi, and who's that Levi? Me and you are Levites in the sense that we can do this work because of every time we bend ourselves for God, what does that do? You love it, Ishi. What is beyond the thought will enter into the thought. The revelation of the essence of the Ainsoth, which is higher than the desire and the thought of worlds. And number two, number one, it will be the revelation of God Himself, and it will come with the hell and no more concealments. So, two things. Currently, the system has two, two um, deficiencies, has two. Uh, Two chesrenes, two lackings. Number one, it's the whole entire, the, 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 the very beginning of beginning, kernel of kernel of 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 what, the underlying energy of that 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 is the source of all all flow of energy of life into the into the cosmos and to create and to sustain the worlds. Number one, it's only a ray, and the ray is nothing compared to its source. That's number one. Number two, even that ray is camouflaged. It's hidden in the garment. It's concealed. When we are done with with this with this avoda of levi, when we are done with this work of which of rectifying and elevating the world, we're going to gain two things. Number one, the essence will come down. Number two, it will be without a garment. That's the idea. The Indian, who the Indian, the idea is in the asid ksiv on the future. It says by yoimahu tikri ishi. This idea is expressed. It says in that there's a, there's a prophecy that says on that day you will call me. God says you will. You, God says to us, you will call me my husband, and not my boss. Veloy baili, veloy tikri oid baili. You won't call me anymore. My baili also means a husband, but you will call me ishi, which is a much more intimate type of name for a husband. What is it? It's a difference between Ishi and Bayani. And the idea is as follows. On that day, God will be one and his name will be one. The Gemara asks a question. On that day, he will be one and his name will be one. And today, he's not one. What is he made up of pieces today? And his name is not one. What does that mean? Now he's not one. And the sages say, This world is not like the world to come. In this world, God says, it's, it's related to last week's parasha, parasha Shemos. Actually, though, we're learning this is a Shemos mind. God says, in today's days, in the current world, my name is 
Yudke Vavke. The name of Havaya, Yudke Vavke. Four-letter name of Hashem that we're not allowed to say out. Known as the Tetragrammaton. That name of God, that's his name. But we don't call him that. When we daven, when we, when we pray, when we pronounce his name by the Torah, we, we alter the name. And whenever it says supposed to be Yudke Vavke, we're not allowed to. We're forbidden to say God's name explicitly. So we camouflage his name and we use a different name. We call, we, we refer to him as Aleph Dalet Nun Yud. We say Ado, which is not, the, that's not Yud Kevavke. It's a completely different pronunciation. In other words, we are hiding the Havaya in a encasement, in a, we're referring to God, but by calling him Aleph Dalet Nun Yud, we're really hiding his truth. He's revealing himself to us, but it's very minimal through this case, through the other name of God. In the future, Mashiach comes, we will be allowed to pronounce God's name, Yudke Vavke, without the, what is the deeper meaning? And that's a difference. Then you will be my husband. Now I am your Baile. He's explained the relationship. Aleph Dalet Nun Yud means that he's a master. And that's what Baal means. Baal means a master. Now God is a master over the world. Why? Because as long as the Ayan and the Yesh are separated, the Yesh remembers our world, then, then our relationship with God is that God is the controller of the world. He's the boss. But we and him are still two separate things. We haven't attached it yet. He is the power over the world. So we call him Ado. And, that's, and that means master. And that's also the meaning of the word Baal, which means owner. When Mashiach comes, once we connect our world, and we bring it to become totally one with him, then he's, he's our husband, a husband and wife. No more. He's owning us. He's, he's the boss. Of, we are in because we've melted into him, and he's melted into us. We've melted into him, and he's melted into us. And then we're Ishi. And then we don't have to hide his name, Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud, in some external type of encasement, because we know him. We're one with him. It's in today's days we call him Allah Dal Nudboy. In the future, Nikra we will call him the way he's Now God is revealing himself through the name of Allah Dal Nunyud. which means the same idea of an owner. The Baalushan Adan, it means a master. He's the master. God is the master of the world. Just like we use the word Baal when it, in, in Torah, it uses the man when it says the owner of the ox. He's the, the master of the ox. In Baal of Ima, or when someone has a uh, borrow something, uh, an object, by the four guardians, it used the term if the owner is with him. So again, Baal means an owner. And that's the idea of the name of Adna. The Beshem Adna Gamke Meir Shem Adnaya. Shem Adna, the name of Al Dal Nun Yud, also contains within it the Yud Kevavke, but it's hidden in it. Shem Adna Mailama Master, the name of Adna is obscuring and hiding and filtering and screening it. Why? Because it says the name Adna is Gamatria 65, Aleph Dal Nun Yud. The same Gematria as the word Hechal. Hechal is Hey is five, Yud is ten, is fifteen. Chaf and Alamid, Chaf is 20, Alamid is 30, so 20 and 30 is 50, plus 15 is 65. So Hechal and, and Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud is the same 
same gematria, same numeric value, which means that what is Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud? It's a Hechal. Now what's a Hechal? Hechal is a chamber. Now what's a chamber? When a person is sitting in, a, in his house, no one sees him. The chamber is concealing him. The room is concealing him, unless you're inside, but it's, you're looking from the outside, it's hiding. So Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud is hiding Yud, Kevavkin. That's today, because we're looking through, God is behind the walls of Yud, of Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud. It's a Hechal, it's a concealment. Because even though, and, and the reason it is that way, it's able to hide it, is because from the very beginning, it's only a ray of Habay. And when it's only a ray, then the Adna can hide it. It's the lower Shem Havai. We know that in Havai itself, there's two levels, the lower Havai and the higher Havai. Okay, and on the lower Avai, I'm gonna want to get into this right now. The shame Adna can obscure and hide. But in the future, God is gonna be called the way he is written. Because when Mashiach will come, it will be the revelation of the, the supernal shame Avai. In his root, it's the essential name, the Atmos Ainsol, of the essence of the Ainsol. It's gonna, and what is going to be the encasement? Not Adna, but the encasement is going to be the lower Shem Havaya is going to encase the higher Shem Havaya. And the lower Shem Havaya does not obscure. It's not a garment that is, it has to be there because or else we would completely be destroyed by such intense revelation, but it doesn't obscure it. In other words, the gilu, the revelation of God's very self is going to reach all the way into Malthus and all the way down here into this world. There's a little bit more here that I, I could continue today. I'm a little tired and I know I'm going to not explain it well. So let's give it a fourth class, not a lot more, just a little bit. And this will explain now, by the way, once you hear, once we're at this point where we understand that what? That the Levite element of attachment, this is all about attachment. By us attaching, we cause him to attach. And then he's no more our master. He, he is one with us. He's our husband. And we are his wife. And we are completely merged with him. Husband and wife become one entity. Basar Achad, one entity. So now we'll also understand why, when it describes the marriage of Moshe's parents, Moshe is the one who's going to begin this whole process of giving us Torah and mitzvahs, the ability to transcend ourselves in daily life and live a godly life, not a, not live for ourselves, but to live for higher. Moshe is going to do that. So in order to bring him into this world, it says a person went from Levi, but it doesn't just say Levi. Levi is very pivotal over here. Levi means attachment. It says Ish, because Ish is the same idea as Ishi, this is what's going to bring about the intimacy of God, not bodily, not a, a kind of distant marriage or a master. Ishi, my husband. Just like Leah says, Apam, you love it. Ishi, Eli, my husband will attach himself to me. Vayelach, Ish, me base lady, a man from the house of Levi. And he took the daughter of Levi, as we're going to see soon, as we're going to complete this year, Be'ezus Hashem. Wow, awesome stuff.
Be'ezus Hashem, um, probably tomorrow night I want to finish it so that Thursday we can learn something new already. I have something else that I learned today, which is like, whoa, crazy. Of the Alter Um Special moment that I would like to teach on Thursday night, or at least start it Thursday night. Everybody be well. Thank you for joining. We should see you already in Mashiach today.